When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, one and all, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. This morning... This morning, I flew in on the red eye from Los Angeles, and boy, are my arms not holding Emmys. (laughs) See you Monday. Speaking... Speaking of losers, Donald Trump, I will... I will catch you up on the latest from his campaign-slash-court appearances in my never-ending segment... Road to the White House and or Big House. Donald Trump v. the people. America decides and or convicts. Bing, 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 boom, shoot. I like it. I like that Big news today is the big news from Monday. Donald Trump won the Iowa caucus with 51% of the vote. Iowa, apparently short for, I don't want to live in a democracy anymore. <laughs> now, uh, Trump's victory was so decisive that the Associated Press declared him the winner before many Iowans had even cast their votes, which feels just a tad premature. You don't, you don't see this at the Super Bowl. Will you please toss the coin? It is tails. Kansas City wins the game. This job is easy. Sure. It's a safe bet. Pretty safe bet. It's worth noting that this caucus was decided by 14% of the state's registered Republicans. So, Trump won 51% of 14% of about a quarter of the population of one state out of 50. So the results are less the will of the people and more the will of Carl. <laughs> just, just listen. Just listen to what Trump told the faithful about voting in the dangerous sub-zero weather. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. Look. Look, folks. Look, I'm, if you, even if you pass away, just make sure you angle your corpse so that it collapses onto the Trump button. (laughs) But we will need your vote again in the general election, so please get reincarnated as a fully grown adult or a very politically involved squirrel. (laughs) It's nuts. He also... (laughs) He also gave his supporters this incentive. 
The caucus will be uh, filled with a lot of great people. I say, if you're single, you'll probably meet your future husband or wife. Who, of course, will then die. <laughs> like a dog, but will come back as a politically involved squirrel. <laughs> Trump also put Jimmy Carter's name into his filthy mouth. My wife attended the funeral two months ago of Rosalind Carter, and it was beautiful. And Jimmy Carter was there, and I thought to myself, Jimmy Carter is happy now because he will go down as being a brilliant president by comparison to Joe Biden. Only Donald Trump, only Trump would see a man at his wife's funeral and think, I bet he's happy now. Coming in 30 points behind Trump was Florida governor and toddler realizing mommy was behind the couch the whole time. <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Despite the trouncing, DeSantis bragged about being able to continue his campaign. They were predicting uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa. You helped us get a ticket punched. We've got our ticket punched. Ron, you keep saying ticket. I think you mean nuts. So, so, the DeSantis train is steaming on to New Hampshire, where he's currently polling at 5%. But don't give up, Ron, because when asked which candidate they preferred, 2% refused to answer. <laughs> if they're ashamed to say it out loud, that's a DeSantis voter. Coming in just behind DeSantis to the race to not win the nomination was former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, seen here eating the world's largest invisible ear of corn. <laughs> Haley got 19%, which would put her in third. And that made her post-caucus message a little confusing. I can safely say, tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Calling it a two-person race when you came in third. That, that, my friend, is some real three-dimensional chess. Or she calls it two-dimensional. Now, some pundits are saying that Haley came in third because the Republican Party is racist. But after Iowa, she went on Fox News and pushed back on that theory. Are you a racist party? Are you involved in a racist party? No. We're, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Not the most surprising answer from a candidate who doesn't think slavery caused the Civil War. She must have learned history from the critically acclaimed film 12 Years an Unpaid Intern. Yeah, they don't talk about the college credit. They never talk about the college credit. Those weren't the only losers. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson suspended his campaign after coming in sixth place. Now, you may not have heard of Asa Hutchinson, but you've definitely never heard of the guy who somehow beat him for fifth place, Ryan Binkley. <laughs> who is Ryan Binkley, you may ask, as I did into the mirror this morning? <laughs> Apparently, he's a pastor, a businessman, and according to this picture from a recent interview, that co-worker who never brings anything into the office to decorate <laughs> because, quote, you never know when it's all gonna end. Now, unlike that quitter Hutchinson, Binkley is staying in, and I am all in on Ryan Binkley's bink-mentum. Nikki Haley was right. This is a two-person race. Trump train versus Big Bink. You got this, Brian. I mean, Ryan 
but maybe. <laughs> Go with Brian. You look more like a Brian, and nobody knows your name anyway. There was one positive thing to come out of Iowa, and that was this interview on Newsmax with MAGA pundit Dick Morris before the voting started. Take a look. Dick Morris, your thoughts tonight? Well, I think Trump is going to score a huge victory. I think the media is going to try to downplay it because, as you correctly said, they're basically supporting um, uh, Ron, they're basically supporting Nikki Haley. weird. Though it does explain Newsmax's slogan, all the news that's fit to be interrupted by a sad man in his underwear. Wow. Was that blurred? It looks blurred. Was that blurred or were those boxers? That was boxers? Those look like boxers made of blur. (laughs) Maybe that's... Maybe his body is just blurred. Oh, speaking of sad men, finishing a strong and weak fourth in Iowa was entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy Seen here yelling his catchphrase, Kagop! <laughs> After pulling single digits, Ramaswamy dropped out of the race and immediately endorsed Trump, even sharing the stage with him in New Hampshire for a awkward amount of time. We will not stop until we get this job done. Thank you all. God bless you and your families. Stop the hug! Stop the hug! Stop the hug! All right, all right. <laughs> it's nice knowing I have my own mob. That's good. Now, he may be in a new state, but Trump's singing the same old song with a new twist on this classic rant about immigration. They're coming in from mental institutions and insane asylums. That's Hannibal Lecter. Did you ever hear of Hannibal Lecter? They're being dropped into our country. Hannibal Lecter is coming in, lots of them. Yes, hordes of Spanish-speaking Hannibal Lecters are <laughs> skydiving into our country to steal jobs from hard-working American cannibals. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I believe your liver should be eaten with fava beans and a nice Chianti, not with a mole sauce and a Dos Equis. <laughs> then, it was time to complain about inflation. Look at the price as an example of bacon. Up five times? What does five times mean? What does five... What does five times mean? It means five times. Look, look, as an example, just look at this. Two plus two equals four. What does... What does equals four mean? Many are saying five. And no one knows what five means. Also, for the record, bacon did not go up by five times. It went up at most 30%. That's not great, but don't scare your voters like that, okay? Your heart, their hearts can't take it because of all the bacon. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, Clive Owen. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand-new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Adaris. 
what is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest is an actor you know from Closer, Children of Men, and The Nick. He now stars in Monsieur Spade. What's the matter, Jean-Pierre? You got lost in the dark last night? Maybe you forgot you were going to stay off my property. Your property. Oh, jeez. Have you been sitting there since last night? What are you talking about? I wasn't here last night. And who was? How would I know I wasn't here? Philippe's son, André, did you lend him your bike? Sometimes he just takes it. He's an old friend, after all. Oh, with friends like that, who needs friends? Jean-Pierre, there's some things you just don't ever want to do. We have all heard the stories. What a tough guy you once were. There's no such thing. I wonder, are they true stories? Or just things you tell a woman like my wife? Please welcome back to The Late Show, Clive Owen. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Well, as, as people can see there, you are playing uh, Detective Sam Spade, made famous by Humphrey Bogart, his Dashiell Hammett character who appeared in several stories, but made famous by, by Bogey right here in uh, The Maltese Falcon. Look at that. All right. Look, it, so, it looks like you've taken the cigarette out. What? <laughs> it does. It looks like they photoshopped out the cigarette. Do, do, does your spade smoke? Um, he's told in the opening scene, one of the opening scenes, that he's got to give up. Really? Yes. Is that why he's so cranky for the rest of it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, how familiar were you with The Maltese Falcon? Because this is an iconic portrayal. I was very familiar. Um, I got a call from Scott Frank and Tom Fontana saying they wanted to talk about it. They pitched me the whole idea of Sam Spade jumping 20 years, now in the south of France. So I'm he's semi-retired. He's semi-retired, trying to live a quiet life. Um, I'm a huge Bogart fan. I'm a huge fan of The Maltese Falcon. And as I was sitting having the call behind me on the wall, I've got two original posters, one of Casablanca, one of the Maltese Falcon. So I took a shot at the Maltese Falcon and went, you've come to the right guy. I love this. <laughs> well, when you do... OK, so, I mean, it's an amazing portrayal and Bogey is uh, fantastic, but as you go to do Sam Spade, since it is such an iconic portrayal, do you, do you draw from it or do you try to expunge it? I, I did the opposite. I know you're supposed to. I'm supposed to go in and go, know. I'm, I'm going to You're do, the actor. I'm, I'm going to do my interpretation, but... Because we were shooting in France with a lot of French actors, I, I needed a grounding. And although we're playing a later Sam Spade, he has to come from there. He has to come from that 40s private detective. So I kind of drowned in Bogart. I went, I watched everything again. I actually lifted his dialogue from the Maltese Falcon and from Casablanca. Nobody else is just his. And had just it line to line, just line him? Line to line. And in fact, in Casablanca... Less than 20 minutes. Can you believe that? Wow. That Bo you think he's, he speaks the whole movie. He actually speaks 
for I think it's about 19 odd minutes. But and then I put I put that on one audio file, and that was my get go to work, set me up. So are, are you like? jogging around the neighborhood going, <laughs> play it, Sam. Like, well, what, the, would people the, ever say, hey, what are you listening to? But the interesting thing about it Because that sounds is... insane, you realize. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a form but, of torture, in a way. No, they do that in Guantanamo no, to people. No, he's so great. It was I a, know, it but was there's no other part of it. It's just him talking. Yeah, but it was to get into his cadence and his rhythm. And, but what, and, is, what did you learn about his cadence his rhythm, with what, him by doing this? It's, it's surprising because what... What you learn is you think he's laconic, laid back. Yeah. When you actually listen to him, he's super fast with his dialogue. He just makes it look very easy and breezy. But actually, he's super nimble, super quick. And I, I actually called Scott and we talked it all through and I said, you know, I think it's really important that when we have those big, long dialogue scenes that they, 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 they play great when you rip through them, that you don't... The thing about that Humphrey Bogart and that style of acting is they didn't overindulge they didn't over exclaim it was all about trusting the rhythm of the piece letting the the words do the work but do you have after after listening to those two or, or any other one of his movies do you have a favorite bogart line oh, i mean there's lots loads from i mean casablanca is my all-time favorite film i'm actually the patron of a beautiful old cinema in a, in a little town called harwich 1911 one of the oldest cinemas and as soon as I knew I was doing this. I hosted a double bill of the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca in the 1911 cinema. Oh, that's Sorry. fantastic. This is heaven. That's fantastic. And it was full. It was full. Sure. Of course. But I, um, yeah, there's so many lines. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Clive Owen, everybody. Stick around. Mr. Clive Owen, Bogey died 57, something like that, 56, something yes, like that. Yeah. And you're, you we're the same age, born in 1964. And um, what would you have said to him if you met him? Like, what, what do you, what do you think? Well, actually, um, I, I, I met. Lauren Bacall once. And I, I've never told this story because I'm always yeah, for, I'm for a, people who don't for people who don't know they were they were married. Oh, Lauren Bacall, you have to know Lauren Bacall, yeah. yeah. But um, so and I, you know, I hesitate to tell the story because when actors tell stories and they come out of it okay, it looks like they've told the story because they look fantastic. But I'm going to tell the story because it's Lauren Bacall, and if I'm ever going to tell it, it's when and I'm, I'm doing guessing this. you look pretty fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I was doing the rounds for Closer, all the award shows and all of that, and uh, we're at some Critics' Choice Award, and Lauren Bacall was presenting Almodovar with some special award. Yes. And I didn't even know she was there. I'm sitting at a table, and they go, and here to present the award, the award is Lauren Bacall. And I was like, wow, Lauren Bacall. And I look over, and she's way over there, and she walks this way towards me, not to the stage. And she walks through the tables, comes up to the table, and says, you are fantastic. Wow. And goes to the stage, and I'm like, like floored. Like I have, which I eventually got to sign. I've got an original, big sleep French original of half of Bogart and half of her fate. Like I was, I was crazy is it about that, it. Th is that this one? That's the poster. Yeah, this poster right there. Look I at I that. Why they gave this one to of me. the coolest. Le posters. Grand Sommeil. One of the coolest <laughs> posters. So, the, the uh, and this the, is where they meet. On this, isn't it? Where she says, "Pop her off and blow." Isn't it to, to have, have and have, have not? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So, 
So the, the, the award show finishes. She tells this great story about a very big Hollywood star that's not very nice about him. And at the end, I think her, the line I remember is, and that tells you a lot about Pedro and even more about the other guy. <laughs> it was a big star. So the thing finishes, and then I go, I've got to go and meet Lauren Bacall. I say to people, I've sure. got to go. So I go through the crowd, and she's holding court, and I go out, I say, Lauren Bacall, you're an absolute legend. What you said has made my night. And she said, listen, sweetheart, when I sit at home watching your movies, you make my night, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> I swear. She said, I, I saw that little film you did, Croupier. Yeah. And listen, I didn't rent it, I bought it. Wow. Well, in the, in the film, uh, there's a little nudity. There's a little Clive Owen nudity. Uh, yeah. Sam Spade goes skinny dipping. Yeah. And I am curious how you feel when you see in the script or you hear from the director, oh, you're going to be buck naked in this. Because, again, we're the same age, and I, <laughs> I don't want to see me naked, and I can't get away from me. Well, what do you do, what do, you do when you well, see that? Well, he told me very early on and said, like, we're going to have this recurring theme. Don't worry, we'll do it tastefully. We'll look after you. But usually, when people ask you questions in interviews and they say, so what's your sort of workout regime? I go, it's based on do I take my top off in this movie? <laughs> Can you take your bottom off in this movie? We get, it's we get tastefully little, done. We get a little it's British butt done. in this one. <laughs> Is there a British word for a butt that we don't know? Not really. You don't have a thing like, you know, like a... Uh... Tuchis or anything well, no, like that? You, no, I mean, you say ass, we say ass. With the R in there, yeah, yeah I've never understood yeah, that. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know, Just don't a ask speech me. impediment? <laughs> well, um, it, it takes place in the south of France. Um, is, uh, had, are, you, are you that familiar? Do you parlay the Francais? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. I was asked, how is your French? Is it good? And I said, it will be. And then... I started... No, you were learned French. You were like, I'm going to learn French between now and when I have to do this part. That's what I thought. But <laughs> I started with a French teacher, like I was going to school. And I was sure. like, OK, here we go. Mm -hmm. and, like, and then it was, I was learning so much that it wasn't going to be necessary. Grammar, I'm like, I'm not going to be tested on this. I don't, I'm not going to improvise in this. Yes. So I learned it phonetically. I learned it like an accent. And I, you know, I made sure I knew the scene inside out. And then... I learned the French by sound, not, not you know. And how'd it go? How'd it go? Well, you'll have to watch it and tell me. I, I, I've, no I have no idea. <laughs> I'll sit with the Frenchman and do it. Um, uh, you, well, so you lied, essentially. You lied and said, I will learn French. How do you often lie on your resumes? Because actors often do. They lie when they want to get a part. I've lied many well, times. I, yeah, I did. I told them I knew how to do a talk show. <laughs> uh, I did the classic, which a lot of people do, uh, very early on, um, the horse riding one, yeah, when oh. I was young. Well, that's um, dangerous to say you know how to ride a horse if, if, if you stupid. don't. I mean, like, I, I, I sort of, the first time I did it in the UK in a small TV thing, I said, yeah, yeah, I got thrown off on the thing. Oh. So then I developed a bit of a thing. And then I did this... Fear, this, you mean? Like a fear? A fear. A genuine <laughs> yes. fear, yeah. yes. And then I, I, I went off... I was very young to do this big pilot that Spielberg produced called uh, Class of 61. It was a Civil War pilot. It had an amazing cast. Um, but there was horse riding in it. And I arrived and thinking... And I went up to the Wrangler and said, well, can, can I see the horse? And the horses were, like, fierce. And, and I'm like, whoa. So, War horses? Like, they were... 
like serious horses. Yeah. And then <laughs> one of the first scenes I do, I'm at a party, somebody rides in with a message, I think I've got to get involved, and I jump on his horse and I go off to battle. <laughs> so Greg Hobler, who was directing it, comes up to me and says, we're going to try this in one. <laughs> one shot. Yeah. And I'm like, knowing how I am with horse, I'm like, Right. You, you might want to break it up a bit, Greg, Greg, like, <laughs> I don't know. And he's like, no, let's go for it, and if we don't do it... And I'm like, God. So the scene starts, I look over, and this horse is tearing towards us, right, snorting like full of fire. I swear on my life, the first three takes, I'm going... <laughs> just, just trying to get it, right, just trying to hold it. And yes, they go... Yes. OK, we'll give you some help here, Clive. We'll give you some help. So they get some guy who's like the minute the guy jumps off it, he's grabbed the horse, keeps it still. So I go, OK, and I do my bit, like, I've got to get involved. And I get on. I can't get the horse to move, right? <laughs> There's extras everywhere, right? It's just a massive scene. And then I swear this happens. So I go, something starts not to feel... Saddle's loose. <sighs> Slowly, really slow. It was so with at the point where I go and have to go. <laughs> and there was just like 200 extras laughing, and, <laughs> and that was my. Wow. So when when I did uh, King Arthur, the day we did the deal, I swear the day we did the deal, they said, "Yeah, it's all done." I went. I need to get on a horse tomorrow. <laughs> like, wow. Do they not believe in stuntmen anymore? <laughs> Why did they make you do the dangerous stuff? Well, it was the good old days. It's like 20 years ago. <laughs> Clive, it was lovely to see you again. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.